Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. I'm Chuck. And uh, it's a bit of an interesting episode this week, is we have uh, live in studio guests, and by studio, I mean my kitchen. <laughs> Hello. Uh, we have my my good friend, Brown, Aaron Brown, Brownie, returning to the show. You guys uh, remember Aaron and, and Adam were on the show together, and uh, Aaron, Adam, and I got into a bunch of trouble and shenanigans together. Yes, we did. And, uh, of course, Chuck... How are you, brother? Good. You guys, you guys are yeah. on countdown, right? Uh, well, yeah. The baby's still early. The baby's only five pounds. Uh, so, for many of you who don't know, my wife's been in preterm labor for about three weeks, and she's been uh, going through contractions every single day. And they've been starting to pick up and get worse, but they never get to that five minutes apart for an hour. They always stay at like seven, eight. For like 45 minutes, then gets to like six for another 20, and then 20 minutes later, she has another one. And so they're constantly inconsistent. So she's been on bed rest. It's been pretty hectic here, and uh, it's been pretty pretty shitty, and it's been like 100 plus degrees like every day. Oh, I don't miss it. I do not miss that Poor at thing. all. I do not miss that. We'll give her our love. And she has, so we have a special episode today. Uh, she's not here yet, but my wife will be joining us. Believe it or not, and Aaron, you brought your wife. Yes, I did. Hi, Lottie. Hi, Thomas. Now, um, hi, we, Chuck. We've been yes. That's it. <laughs> hi, Chuck. Hi, Lottie. There, everybody. Fuck you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love you too. <laughs> oh, I love this show so much. <laughs> By the way, I just want you guys to know these are this, uh, my wife and Lottie have never done this before, and so immediately when I put the microphones in front of their face and turn the headphones on. Uh, they both turned into uh, like eight year olds. <laughs> and what did, what did you say when you could hear your own voice in the headphones? You, what voice were you oh, using? Oh, I sound like the, the sweaty balls get. <laughs> you do sound like It's it. delicious. I love the sweaty balls. I love the feel of them in my mouth. <laughs> so this is going to be a fun episode this week. Um, my wife will be joining us shortly right now. She's picking up my son from work. Um, but uh, we've been threatening to do this for a while, and we were finally able to get uh, an episode where we can talk to the wives about what it's like being married to somebody in the military, law enforcement, firefighting. Like I I've talked to many, many wives. Uh, Aaron. Uh, Chuck, you know Aaron. We've had him on the show. He was a firefighter. Now he's an RN. And I've talked to his wife about, hey, do you want to come on and do this? She's like, no, uh-uh. No, I do not want to talk about I do not want to bring that stuff up again. I do not want to discuss it. Absolutely not. And uh, what was it you said to me last night? The damage Lonnie? was done. <laughs> I said, we were going to do an episode about how it affects, you know, the wives. And he goes, oh, you mean how it fucking ruins everything? <laughs> ruins fucking everything. Vacations. You can't go on a vacation because you're going to get a subpoena for court. And then when you do finally get to go on a vacation, they're an asshole for the first solid 24 to 48 hours of that vacation because they're still in like cop mode right you can always bang in sick that's what i would do when i didn't want to go to court <laughs> that's mm -hmm. true that's true <laughs> we've been out here for we've been in south dakota for five years and he's been out of law enforcement for five years and every once in a while he still gets a call for a subpoena i don't ever call them back i don't exist i'm not there you can't prove it yeah serve me motherfucker mm -hmm. exactly Exactly. You want me to come to court that bad? Can you come out here and serve me? That's right. Uh, so, and again, my wife will be joining us. So before uh, we get into the, the stuff with wives, um, I thought it would be fun for us to discuss. A lot of you had a career. Now your career is in healthcare. Yes, I'm a respiratory therapist. But prior to that, your career was law enforcement adjacent. Yes. So explain, please, what you... What, so I introduced you and your husband, as we've discussed. Yes. I mean, I mean, he, you guys had met when he was booking people because you worked at the jail. I mean, we sort of met. He always stood against a wall and never talked to me, but yeah. But he stood against the wall and never talked to anybody. That's true. That's his MO. The beautiful little wallflower. Yes. 
I mean, there's nothing little about him. He's not a little wallflower. He's a gigantic wallflower. He's a, a wallflower mural. He's a mural of wallflowers. <laughs> He's sitting here bright red laughing, not saying shit, too. <laughs> He's like, great, I'm going to get picked on for the next hour. No, you said that there was nothing little about me, but I went, immediately went to one thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if I should it. say that on the podcast or not. You can say so. whatever you want, man. It's our show. Uh, so... Uh, for Chuck and the listeners, tell us what you did. In the jail? Yeah, and then we'll talk my about of, the stuff you experienced doing that. My official title was correctional technician. I was a glorified secretary. So I got to look and smell at all the stuff, but I didn't have to touch it. Right. Um, it paraded by you yeah. while you did the paperwork on at it. At nauseam, yeah. So we did all of the bookings and updating court paperwork, um, visiting signups, monitoring inmate activity in dorm control areas and stuff like that. It was always a good time. Every once in a while I'd see something naked or bloody or both, both the same time. Yeah. The, well, cause this, the, all, all the strip searches and all that was done right next to you. Like it was strip searches weren't really a thing like the pat downs. Yeah. But like, unless they were going off to prison then you'd hear the squat and coughs. <laughs> fucking gross <laughs> but it, that's what i mean it wasn't like take them elsewhere it was done right there right yeah. there in irc yeah. the intake and release center yeah, yeah. and uh you guys sat in front of the aquarium of assholes mm -hmm. the sober cells the sobering cells right yeah. so it was uh cinder imagine okay imagine cinder block and glass and glass right yeah it's it's literally uh cinder block walls cement floor and then big glass doors with steel frames mm -hmm. and uh it was belligerent like a, pieces of shit yeah. over entitled cal poly students <laughs> screaming yeah. and my daddy's gonna sue you yeah yeah it was an aquarium of assholes really uh -huh. it was and you guys but what's crazy is is that you had these it, it, well not so sweet ladies most of i don't i don't remember was there any guy cts i don't remember any every once in a while we'd get one yeah yeah thomas was there for a really long time right not me not you <laughs> no um we've had a few go through and so you that like they'd they'd parade past you they'd say shit to you they'd like but uh you guys and you yeah guys it was just a, it was just a corral. chest high wall that yeah. separated the good from the bad. It's almost like... Um, which was if, which? Think of like bank tellers, <laughs> right? Think of like the counter at a bank where the counter's a little bit higher. Yeah. You know, and the bank completely teller sits... Completely exposed. Yeah, but completely... Like they have more protective uh, gear at uh, a 7-Eleven in, in yeah. the hood where... <laughs> I've heard they've redesigned it since I left, what, seven, eight years ago? And there's a whole uh, new section of it. 2015 is when you left. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I, I don't know if they've, I, I mean, I haven't seen it since 2012, but, yeah. um, it's, it was fairly unprotected and you guys were exposed to all of it. They took the, the booking photos right in front of you. They, you know, if they were naked, they were naked in front of you. If they were covered in shit, they were covered in shit. Right Drunk in front and of masturbating. You. Drunk. We, yep, yep. Watched it all. So, yeah. so that now what, give us some of the most memorable people that got brought in what's what sticks oh. out i mean i remember the guy you remember the guy i brought in that had the staff infection so bad they immediately ordered me out of the jail it's gross it was a golf ball size like yeah. pimple of staff See, and, the, and i remember like the funnier stuff like um a poly dolly it's what we call the female cal poly students was hammered and took a dump in the middle of the floor <laughs> and then pulled her tampon out Stuck it in the middle of her turd and then saying happy birthday to herself and pretended to blow out the candle. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. By the way, you have to watch out for Chuck because uh, we always joke he has the, the most sensitive gag. <laughs> <laughs> I Chuck, have a goal. You, you send, your, uh, you send your, your trainees into the dead bodies first, right, to make sure, depending on how bad they Not smell. just trainees, partners. I, get, I had more time on than a lot of my uh, partners I worked with. And um, and even if I did, and I had more experience, so I would just tell them to go in. It's their turn. Listened. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, that and they did, they liked death. I, I didn't care for it. Yeah. No. So she sang happy birthday. To, was it at least on key? No. Oh, God no. <laughs> no, she was. She went through a, birthday, a phase where she was Mr. getting arrested. President. She was found like drunk and passed out. She was found drunk and passed out all over town. 
um, usually using the sidewalk as a pillow for her head. <laughs> the rest. I do of have her to say though, and- females when they get drunk, in my experience, have been the most volatile and, oh, yeah. and nasty people to deal with when drunk because yeah. they they think it's okay to hit fight kick pinch scream bite they are vicious yes there like was a senator's animals. daughter that yes drunk that women turn they do turn into like like wolverines yeah especially yeah. drunk college girls that think that they should i don't All even belong here my daddy's gonna arrest you and you're gonna go to jail oh you know who's also really bad cops kids Cops kids are pretty terrible. We would get military and every once in a while that would be belligerent. They'd be out at like Hunter Liggett and go into San Luis to do the slow bar crawl. Yeah, San Luis Obispo was the city. Yeah. And the county the county was San Luis Obispo and the city seat was San Luis Obispo yeah. City. And they'd so. get belligerent and every once in a while we'd let their COs come in and pull them out of there and that was always a fun show. It was always... I'm going to own your ass when we get back. Yeah. And there's a state, there's a, a Camp San Luis Obispo's Army uh, uh, Reserve, Guard. National yeah. Guard barracks and base. And they also have a state training center for firefighters and police officers yeah. there. Uh, and I was an instructor there. My dad was uh, employed there after he retired. I got to retired. do some SWAT you got, out there. Yeah. So we got a lot of out-of-town cops and sometimes they would get into trouble. Yep. <laughs> There was a there was a um, there was a cop who uh, I, I won't say what agency he worked for, but their initials are CHP, and um, <laughs> he got shit faced. Chuck, did I ever tell you this? He got shit faced drunk at training, and went into the parking lot of the Embassy Suites Hotel and started using his service weapon to shoot out the streetlights in the parking lot. Oh, good God! Uh, it doesn't honestly. It, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me one bit. My agency has had coppers get drunk in in San Diego and shoot out streetlights and do dumb shit like that. So it does, but at training, that's pretty, it's pretty brazen. Yeah. yeah. At train, like you're, you're not there you're on vacation or anything. You're at training. They even had uh so Chuck Liddell was a bouncer Ugh. down. <laughs> yeah. Chuck Liddell was a local boy and he was a bouncer downtown. And uh, I think he disarmed a cop one time who tried to draw, who was drunk at tortilla flats and drew, drew on him. Like, you don't know who I am. And this was before Chuck was a, I mean, he was training, but he wasn't anybody. He wasn't a name. He was a bouncer there, and he straight out like backspin roundhouse kicked the gun right out of his hand. Wow! Yeah, I was... remember his billboard at the bottom of the grade, and just driving into San Luis from the north end of the county, and just seeing his giant nipple every time I turn the corner. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, so we would see him downtown all the time. But yeah. uh, then I wanted to, um, and the reason I wanted to talk about what you did then versus what you do now is because you were on the front lines of the pandemic and COVID as a respiratory therapist treating during a pandemic, what became a respiratory pandemic, illness. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to read this email uh, real quick because we talked about it earlier and uh, Kendall wrote in, I got this just this morning and I'm I, normally we save emails, but this one kind of uh, felt like we should read it. So Chuck, you haven't heard this one yet. I don't think it was just sent to uh to my mailbag email address, uh, which is, if you want to email us, mailbag.warstories at gmail.com. Uh, Kendall wrote, I want to start by saying that I've, uh, actually, the the subject is thank you guys. So I said, this is a, uh, and I don't know if this is a guy or girl, doesn't say. So uh, Kendall says, I want to start by saying I've been a fan and a listener for a while now, and you guys might never know how big of an impact y'all have on listeners, and even the smallest things y'all discuss can go miles to help people. Every time I find myself really struggling with my PTSD, somehow I find myself diving into an episode of War Stories or The Locker Room, and every time the last segment when somebody writes in about struggling with PTSD, I just break down. But the reassurance and the peace you all give them feels like you are talking directly to me and helping me through another tough time. It's hard to shake those feelings sometimes, and knowing there's brothers out there always look. I'm, I'm guessing it's a guy now, brothers. <laughs> Uh, always looking to help, always looking out for one another. The most amazing thing, knowing you'll never be in this alone. Uh, you guys are saints, and I'm sure that uh, you will get a laugh at that, but I just wanted to say thank you guys. Really, thank you. P.S. Sorry for writing y'all so much. I'm from South Georgia. <laughs> so That's awesome. I, I wrote back yeah. to Kendall, and I, I, I wanted to share that with you guys because, uh, you know, Chuck and I, especially right now, like Matt is, Matt is dealing with, 
way more than just like he's got time off. He's got to take care of his wife. They've got family stuff. He's he's a brand new father. Uh, you know, family's flying into town. There's just so much going on. And Chuck has got dealing with. I mean, how many appointments do you have today, Chuck? Three. We're we're squeezing this in 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 between yeah. your appointments. I have my wife's in mind because um, I don't want to let her drive because of the whole. Um, she might go into labor, labor while you're yeah. driving. Right. So if I'm there, I can at least, you know, disobey some traffic rules and stuff and get out of it. But uh, yeah, never too fast. Probably, on the brass pass. Maybe. Uh, but no, I have three appointments today. Yeah. Yeah. So Chuck's didn't, you know, cool enough to find a time to shoehorn this in. And that's why we were going to have your wife on, but she needs to rest. And so she uh, she's going to participate via you but if she, because she's given you some things to, to pipe in with. Um, but it with everything Chuck's got going on with everything, you know, uh, I've got going on with everything Matt's got going on. It does get difficult sometimes to want to get up for the show, you know, to, to do it uh, on a regular basis. And just like uh, Kendall said that, you know, uh, be, he'll be struggling with PTSD. He, she, Kendall uh, will be struggling with PTSD and we'll say something that uh, we'll feel like that, we're speaking directly to them. Uh, we'll sometimes be like, Oh, we got to record an episode this week. We got to set this up. We got to do and And it's not that we don't like sitting here and talking, but the, the scheduling and the, the making the time and the setting up and living the, the life. Know, yeah. Doing all the stuff that it takes to sit here and talk. I mean, I can sit here and talk anytime, but getting ready for it, getting up for it, getting the, everything together for it, 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 it can be taxing. And then getting an email like that always comes at a time where I'm like, Oh, and we just had a break and I'm like, oh man, okay, what are we going to do? We got to set up the time. We got to, and then Kendall sends it in and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I can, I, the motivation yeah, is the, there. It's, so just as much as we help you guys, those emails help us. I can guarantee you 100%. Uh, but you, Lottie, you, um, you were on the front lines of this and for the more so, like you said, you saw a lot of funny stuff that you remember from the jail, but you know, then you become a respiratory therapist and you're working at a hospital during a respiratory pandemic mm -hmm. and you were a new -er Oh yeah. RT. I've only been a respiratory therapist for five years Yeah, and I am doing all the critical care areas and running ventilators and doing all the neonatal care stuff. And I flew with care flight for a while. Um, amazing organization. And now I am working in hyperbaric oxygenation therapy. So what, I mean, a hyperbaric chamber, like when you go diving, like pressurized. Yeah. yeah. So what, well, I was what, in one of those for a while. You were in one of those? Yeah. Hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. What horrible. happened? I was burnt. So they had oh, to bring yeah, the burn unit. This, oh yeah. 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 They use it for center. wound care. So yeah. burns, yeah. um, radiation burns. Uh, unhealing diabetic wounds, stuff like that. I, I remember, I forgot that you, I knew you were in the burn unit, but I forgot that you did the, the chamber when you were there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did uh, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. But I got a question. I got a question for the whole COVID thing because you're running ventilators and things like that. Do you think, and I've heard a lot of things come back. I've nurse friends and stuff like that, that a lot of them believe that, that they were mistreating a lot of people with COVID and putting them on ventilators preemptively and not nasal cannuling them. And they could have averted a lot of death probably by just using a nasal cannula instead of throwing them on the vent because it's very hard to get them off of the vent once they were on the vent. Do you think there's any validity to that or no, not at truth all. to that? Um, with COVID, this is going to get kind of geeky and sciencey. People's lungs had a tendency to get pretty like stiff and hard and they weren't wanting to function and absorb oxygen the way that you're supposed to. That was like the mucus was It really wasn't a mucusy thing. That would be more of like a cystic fibrosis thing. But this was like a almost like a like a fibrotic lung. Like your lungs just feel real stiff and they don't want to expand. The actual it, tissue. Yeah. Um so it was really hard to get oxygen into the tissues and you have to use pressures in order to do that. So Non-invasive ventilation, like the big hospital CPAP and BiPAP machines were very helpful. But at some point, you know, we're giving them 100% oxygen with maxed out pressure settings to try and open up their lungs. And, you know, at some point, you've got to stick that tube in. 
Um, there was a lot of alternatives. We really utilized um, what we call heated high flow. So it'll uh, bust out up to 60 liters of air um, per minute, which is almost like having a leaf blower shoved up your nose. And we could run that up to 100%. That saved a lot of people from having to get intubated. But we do escalation of care. So it was, and then there was a lot, it was a new disease. So at first it was, do we intubate quickly and treat them with the ventilator first, or do we do the non-invasive stuff first? Um, but typically what we'll, did you what did you see that was most helpful, the escalation of care or going in early with the, the, the vent? I think escalation of care, because if, okay. if we don't have to intubate somebody, um, we always would rather not because you're opening a pathway for infections. Um, like you can right. mess up somebody's trachea if, that, if the little balloon around that tube is inflated too much. You can cause um, barotrauma to the alveoli and the lungs. Uh, you can give them pneumonias. All kinds of things can happen. Do you think that there were people that might have been in a rush to go jump straight to oh, absolutely. People were terrified. They didn't yeah. know what to do. Yeah. And the nice thing about intubation with COVID, it's considered a closed system. So even though we were fully gowned and masked and pappers and like spacesuits on when we were in the rooms, technically there was very minimal, if any, exposure risk at all when they're intubated because they're breathing through that tube and that tube is going through HEPA filters. And right. So did a lot. So are a lot of people, once people, how do I put this? Do you think because it's a closed system and people were so afraid of infection, they were like, tube them up because yeah. then, then we don't have, then we're not risking ourselves. Cause I have heard, and I, I won't, I don't want to disparage the medical community. It's, it was a terrible thing that people were trying to figure out on the fly, but I have heard that, and this is from people in the medical community. It was the first time they had seen their peers be afraid of treating patients. Yes. Like actually like, I don't want to do my job. It's similar to what cops are going through. I think in the last couple of years with being afraid to do police work, you know, and, and, what are the ramifications? Uh, I had you know, we coworkers spoke that during their the work week would live in hotel rooms because they weren't going to take it home to their families. Um, I would strip down on our front porch on a very busy street and like leave all of my stuff outside in the dead of winter in South Dakota. I would just be like streaking into my house because I wasn't <laughs> going to bring. I went and then I'd head straight to the shower. My kids weren't allowed to touch me. They weren't allowed to come anywhere near me. Um, I mean, that was probably nice. What? Not having to talk to my kids. For, right. Yeah. It was, was a probably... little chill time for me. <laughs> um, the, the university that I work at, the city rented, um, uh, because in the, during the summertime when all the students are gone, they rented out one of our newer dorms and anybody that worked in healthcare, if they didn't want to go home, they had the choice to go to our university and stay on campus for a minimal cost and the that dorm was getting cleaned every single day when they would leave they would come in and and disinfect the room that was that was the school's staff doing that as a service for the first responders and the nurses and everybody that that was in there on the front lines they did that and i thought that that was kind of cool yeah um but I mean, everything has been sanitized and professional companies come in and sanitize everything. So, yeah, we had, you know, I was working in the uh, movie business at the time and it was a big deal of like when you're renting props, like they go out on a show, they come back from like other actors, touch them, other prop people. Touch, like they, it's just renting anything that people are touching during a pandemic where it, that's scary. Mm-hmm. So they had to devise entirely new methods of sterilizing. So I can only imagine when you're at a hospital, you know, and you're like, okay, how do we sterilize like an entire building? Do you, I mean, you don't, you, we turn. Because hospitals are, people don't, like, hospitals have gross, 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 nasty, like, I, I would eat something But people something still off the let their children auto crawl shop. all over those floors. Yeah, that's so what I'm saying. Gross. Like, I would, I would, if I dropped an ice cream cone, I would pick it up off the floor of an auto shop and eat it before I would pick it up off the floor of a hospital mm-hmm. and eat it. 
and hospitals are cleaned way more than yeah. auto shops. And that's but, not a slam on our, our housekeeping. Our housekeeping in our no, facility is top notch, but it's a lot. You've got people walking in and out. They're walking from one room to another. Somebody's got... It's full of sick people. Like C. diff, which is like medical term for like a bacterial infection that causes explosive diarrhea and <laughs> like and you catch it from touching the feces so you're walking from room to room with that on your shoes and you know we do everything we can to minimize it but it happens uh, yikes yeah well, i've said it before here and i will say it again my agency had zero protocol for anything we didn't even have masks half the time at the very beginning and then by the time it was in the swing of things and people were less afraid and they're like, we have masks and none of us were wanting to wear it because we had already dealt with the first six something months of that BS where if I'm not dead by now, they cared. <laughs> and now everyone's like, hmm, they're pushing the vaccine hard. They're, they're, they're pushing masks super hard. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Well, time we out. Have well, masks you didn't give us now. any of this stuff at the yeah. beginning. Why now? Right, um, right. We were issued one flimsy paper mask to wear for the entire shift. And then we were issued you one. You didn't get the nice KN95s? We were issued one N95, and those had to last us for like weeks at a time. Weeks? Weeks at a time. Yeah. You could send them in to dig it like cleaned and sterilized, or you could get a papper. That's one of those big blow hood things but those are in short supply too like family members were coming in and stealing our supplies from the hospital they, they well, told we us include our toilet paper too so they told us hey we'll give you a mask but it's the only one we're going to give you mm-hmm. put it into a bag and we're like whoa, whoa, whoa so it's dirty all day we're touching with our nasty hands we touch people we touch suspects then we're gonna touch this mask yep take it on and off on and off and then put it into a bag to harbor bacteria yep. and then wear that again the next day i don't think so and they're like well that's all we got <laughs> I, don't like, so, like, I don't give a shit and then we went i, I had my um my daughter with my wife right now mm-hmm. um our first daughter together um during that whole time two years ago and speaking with the nurses um in the hospital in labor and delivery, <clears throat> they were saying that nurses and other people, staff, and anyone who worked there that had access to the uh, closets for the sanitation stuff were stealing. Yeah, it doesn't. All of their me. cleaning supplies, yeah. gloves, masks, everything. To when they would go in there, they're like, "We don't have any more masks," so they were having to bring their own masks from home. Yeah. And it was it was crazy. We had construction nuts. companies donating masks to our hospital for a while because they were oh, out of cool. business because they were shut down for COVID. And, but they had a supply. Of but them. they had a supply, so they would bring them into the ER. Yeah. Damn, it's crazy. Well, uh, my wife just showed up, so she should be joining us shortly. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about um, how it is being married to specifically a police officer, but. Also, you know, it applies to, I'm sure, firefighters. Anybody who goes to work for a living um, where they say goodbye to their wife and their wife doesn't know if they're coming home. <laughs> uh, we, we had an interesting conversation just last night. You and my wife were talking about, and we'll, we'll get into this when she sits down, but um, we were talking about who, was, who were the specific people that were on the notifications list and you know for 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 those of you that aren't in any one of these jobs um you fill out paperwork when you get hired and chuck i I don't know how often do you have to fill out the paperwork you you designate who is going to make notification to your family member in the event Um, you're killed so or gravely you do it one time until you have a major life-changing event that you need to add onto there or if you get remarried or something like that, or you change an address or something like that. And then um, obviously there's more than just one form you have, you have that with notifications on it and, and, and stuff like that with your address and, and phone numbers and all that good stuff and children. But then you also have life insurance and things like that, that, right. that um, you also have to fill out. And it, generally it's, you update it and check it once a, once every year or two, it's supposed to be by policy, like yeah. uh, verify it once a year and then um, update it only when something something on there changes, or you need to add something or change something. Yeah, that was our. Right. It was it would basically like pull it out, make sure you don't want to change anything once a year, and then put it back. You know. Yeah. Right. And uh, you tell them 
what are there any special arrangements you want at your funeral service? Are there you know who, who do you want to tell your wife that you're dead? You know, Nick Coughlin. Or your husband. <laughs> Speaking that, of which, who it was? that's who Aaron designated was Nick. Yeah, it was What's Nick, Nick, yeah. Bob, and Chief. Yeah, I told her. I said, if I'm at work and those three guys are coming to the door, there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was uh, Bob, the Chief, and my dad. So I, I just knew that, like, that those three people would never show up to my door <laughs> together. And so I told her. I said, if that is, if that's who shows up at the door, then you know it's it's not good. Das ist nichts gut. I had my aunt listed and my dad because I know my dad would be able to deliver the news and I think one other person, but I've changed it. I've updated it three times and they haven't put it in my file once. They haven't. So you've updated it and they have not updated yeah. it for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, and now we're Doesn't surprise me. being finally joined by my wife. Hello. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> we were talking about how you guys immediately... Uh, turned into eight-year-olds when we, you got the headphones and the microphones in front of you. Moist. Absolutely. <laughs> Moist. <laughs> See. Okay. So um, I think, Chuck, since Aaron and I are sitting here in front of our wives uh, and uh, we they're just going to rip into us, we should have Chuck lead this to ask them questions about being married to a cop. And, and see how that goes because it'll it'll be more they're the guests we just stay silent and let the women talk their trash Aaron looks scared <laughs> I mean Aaron always so, kind of looks scared he either looks scared or with... asleep <laughs> <laughs> or mad actually there is a mad Aaron and once when you see that you just that's the that's the Aaron that knocks down fences with I his shoulder say, get out yeah. of the way yeah Frank the tank so I'll go ahead and start it off by saying that law enforcement is a very difficult job. It's very tough. It's very straining. It's not only straining on the the, the officer, but it, it is very straining on on the family, especially when involved, um, that officer is involved in something that's going to change their life um, or the stresses of the job every day and coming home and, and being completely stressed out. And um, a lot of the times law enforcement officers are not equipped to deal with, with all that stuff. And by nature, we are fixers. We want to fix everything, including our relationships, which sometimes is not the best option. So I guess I'm going to leave it to the ladies. What are some of the things that you guys have dealt with over the years that have seen that have been struggles to deal with and how you overcame those struggles or how you overcame those, those trying to break them out of their shell so that they could become home and be that family man that that you know that they are. Wow, that's like a real interview question. Yeah, yeah. Damn, um, good job, Chuck. <laughs> I found what worked best for Aaron was to give him like a set amount of time to decompress because I, thought I you wasn't blowjob. No, God no. <laughs> okay. Dang. I'm married. I don't have I to thought do that you're going to say anymore. booze. Lots of booze. No, Aaron's not a drinker. I just I leave him alone for the first day or two, and then if he doesn't shake out of it, then I become a bitch and. Mm. Tell him he needs to knock his shit off that, you know, your kids are seeing this and um, they don't need to grow up with a distant father that. But so describe what that time. looks like. Like you said, the day or two to come out of it, come out of what? <sighs> I don't know. It's kind of like almost like you can't get him to relax. His shoulders are always like hunched up in his ears. He's got these eyes that just kind of it makes him sound psychotic like twitchy like always back and forth like he's always thinking about something if you go out to a restaurant he won't talk to anybody yeah. no public places mm -hmm. um where he's got his back to a wall like he is he's already naturally not a social person but then you take him right off of a shift and try and put him in a social situation and it's it was stressful trying to like be that in between oh no he's just this is just how he is after a shift it's fine he's just you know he's just decompressing and then trying to mediate between him and whoever we were with. Um, and then, you know, trying to crack stupid jokes to try and like break his mood. Um, especially if pretty solid. Yeah. Especially if we, I mean, it uh, noticed a lot for me when we would take the family vacations and go to the happiest place on earth in Disneyland and I'm still being an asshole and I don't know why I'm being an asshole. And it takes her to look at me and say, Hey, Stop it. Knock it off. We're here to have fun. Knock your shit off. I remember your mom getting in your face once. 
Like and she had your just, finger. I'm just yeah. like, I, I, I don't know what's going on. This right. is just, this me. is just me. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm no, just, I don't know. It's, it's resting bitch face. <laughs> yeah. No, his mom is like, she's three feet tall and she was a police officer for how many years? Yeah. Uh, 22 years. I yeah. think. Hi, Sharon. And she was like up in his you. face with her finger and like, you're being a hard ass for no right. fucking reason. You need to knock your shit off now mm-hmm. and backed him into a wall. And like, it worked. He's it just kind of snapped him out of it. The verbal so, equivalent of a bitch slap. What I really like what you said is you gave him the first day, maybe two days, to kind of snap out of his funk. And what I found that my wife did because she kind of came into it. I was already in law enforcement, and she came into it feet wet, hot and fast, real quick. Like mm-hmm. got involved in a shooting, and a bunch of crazy shit had happened. Yeah. And I was going through it was a it was a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of high fast. Yeah fast paced stuff right at the beginning, but she would give me a day. And then we would kind of like, if I wanted to talk about it, we'd talk about it. But I, I really felt which was cathartic for me was really, I don't know, the first day, not really talking about it, unless I wanted to, unless I brought it up or the, the next day after she kind of gave me 24 hours to like, cool my shit to, to talk about, she would, she would do it slowly start bringing things up and we would talk about work and stuff like that. And, and just things like that. And it really helped me break out of stuff. And, and um, still it wasn't a hundred percent, but I, did you guys do a lot of that? And it's for both of you, did you guys mm-hmm. do a lot of like speaking and, and trying to like dig into the, the issues or it kind was, of when he snapped out of it, leave it at that. Sorry, Jen. No, no you're right. It was a little bit different for me working in the jail. Mm-hmm. So I usually had the story by the time I got home. So I didn't, he didn't have to talk about it. Because okay. I already right. a lot of times knew what was happening. Um, oh, the Bamboo Telegraph. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. that It was the hub. The jail was the hub of the county. Um, so he didn't really have to tell me. And then I had perspectives from all the other officers that were working with him and other agencies. So because I worked with so many of them, I think it gave me a different perspective. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was crazy in the beginning because... I'm a newly married, have a kid, young child. Well, and you knew me before. Yeah, but this was an entirely different beast. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. like uh, the wife I said didn't want to come on. She said what got her through it and what saved their marriage was that she knew the man that she had married before he became a firefighter. Mm-hmm. And she was working hard to get him back to being that person yeah. and not who he was currently she's like i knew who he could be again i just had to help him get there yeah yeah because as everybody knows listen to the show thomas does not have problem talking (laughs) at all (laughs) yeah never however if it was bad enough he didn't say a word if that was going on i knew the shit was gonna hit the fan yeah, you, you've always said you you worry when i'm quiet absolutely you know i'm either angry or shit's about to go down yeah yeah. So, what was the toughest thing as wives that you guys had had dealt with being a wife of a cop? Like the absolute toughest thing that you guys had to deal with. Are you talking about like a singular event, or are you talking about? Well, it could be it could be a couple. It could be maybe a handful, but yeah, maybe one or two events or issues that you guys really like got through. Because I know there's going to be people out there that are that are going through the same type of shit and maybe it might help them, yeah. you know, kind of try to figure this right. beast out. Yeah. What Lottie was saying, um, just give them some time to catch the breath. Cause in the beginning I was obviously very naive what this was about. And, um, just, it's a kind of like jumping in the deep end and swim. And I just learned to, it's like, especially if you're coming off graves, those are, those are rough. That's really rough adjustment for him. Um, but just having the, the patience and realizing, okay, maybe today might not be the best time to tell him that we owe such money to this bill. We'll, <laughs> we'll attack that tomorrow. I think he was looking for like, I know. specific yeah. incidents. 100% your shooting was awful. Yeah. Absolutely the worst thing. 
I made it to your wedding. That was also mm-hmm. my rehearsal dinner night that you were supposed to be at. Thank yeah, you for being a no-show, Thomas. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it wasn't a no-call no-show. <laughs> no, but I was pissed. Yeah. I was pissed. Aww. The entire time, I'm like, where the fuck is Thomas? Where the fuck is Thomas? Where the fuck? He's going to miss us. He's going to miss us. And then I get the phone call from you. Hey, I can't tell you what happened. Turn on the news and you'll know. And I'm like... I got it. Okay. Yeah. It's good. We're good. Right. We're solid. Yeah. And then you guys made it to the wedding. And, but I was there. I was like, so oh, I, I can't remember, believe he's not fucking here. <laughs> I remember getting a drink with Lottie and Aaron at the, we finally, you know, the wedding happened. Uh, the beautiful Madonna Inn. Um, <laughs> uh, if you've never been there, if you've been to central, uh, the central coast of California and you want to see, the gaudiest, most god awful, awesome place. It's amazing. Just look. Yeah. yeah. The, the restaurant is mm-hmm. pink and gold. I mean, it's, it's awesome. literally all pink and gold. It's Gilded so gaudy. Uh, but uh, you can pee in a, a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The men's room has a waterfall. Uh, anyway, I remember we went down. We, we were having the reception. Um, we, so we were down cellar. drinking in the cellar, and uh, you pull, you you would already. You hadn't pre-gamed that I know of, but you had already you had already tied a couple on before you came out after the wedding. Yeah, I was pretty hammered. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> you thanking me for not being dead. <laughs> was, it was the day after St. Patrick's Day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys got married the day after St. Patrick's Day. And I said, you know, thanks for coming and not being dead. <laughs> It's yeah. kind of a shitty thing to say, though, isn't it? No, no, that was, uh, that was the first thing I asked if that other guy was dead. I needed, I needed normalcy. I needed yeah. you guys to fuck with me. I needed jokes. Yeah. I needed laughter. I needed all that stuff because the ride that was coming—I mean, the ride had already been on—and then the ride that was coming was. So yeah. on that note, because you were at the wedding too. Yeah. No, I don't was. You didn't? No, I had an MS attack. Mom was up visiting. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. Your mom was, and I went mm-hmm. by myself. Yeah. You did. I made you go. You didn't yeah. want to go, and I made you go because I knew you needed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wanted to go, but I also was like, I don't think I can handle it. You really like, get the fuck out. You, well, you needed to do something. You yeah. just would drove everyone crazy and yourself. But so on the note, what I was talking about, um, the PTSD that followed that our marriage had to endure is a very, very close second to the shooting. It okay. was. Mm-hmm, it was tough really tough oh, I late, bet. late night phone calls are always a nightmare yeah um even if aaron was in bed next to me mm-hmm. we got a call for another officer that had been involved in a shooting and aaron had been at the residence where the shooting occurred yeah he's been on the show you can say his name. oh wyatt oh. um yeah. yeah so aaron had been on that call for i think it was a dv thing wasn't it yeah it was yeah. a dv thing the guy had Domestic taken all the knives oh. and thrown them in the into the wall and wrote some god awful thing on the refrigerator and and then the phone rings in the middle of the night and wakes everybody up and it was you know Wyatt saying that he was okay but mm-hmm. the other guy's not and it. yeah and Wyatt wasn't okay no no not even close well at his age yeah I mean, he'd been through he was so a puppy. much already yeah and so PTSD is probably pretty difficult to deal with as a, as a spouse and, and, and seeing those that, that you love go through it and struggle with it. And it's a big strain on, on a, on a marriage and a relationship. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Right. What does it look like? Like, like describe what you see and what, like, like just maybe for wives or husbands or significant others out there that have somebody in the job or on the job or in military or, or dating somebody who was in the military or married to somebody who wasn't, what does it look like? Like what, what kinds of things used to, used to happen? Mm. Oh, well, the drinking obviously increases a lot. It's the only way you could fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, uh, I, removing you, uh, you would not do th- things with the family, even the extended family. Cause your, um, mom and sister were right next door. You didn't want to do anything. You'd rather be completely by yourself, not talking to anybody. And you started so shutting down. Removed. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And like I said, he talks a lot. And having that happen, yeah. I'm like, oh my, what is happening? Uh, I I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah. I can I, I can remember 
specifically being at the grocery store and oh my gosh some lady you know just just mm-hmm. checking me out at the grocery store was you know and she's she's like oh you know have a nice day and, I'm, and in my head i'm like that vietnam veteran you fucking don't know you were there like, yeah I'm like, have tell, a nice me day. You don't, tell me what to do i'm like thank you <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah. experience that mm-hmm. right? i do have to say though the women of law enforcement officers who support them were as a wife, a partner, uh, a live-in long-term girlfriend who deal with it. They are saints because there are things that we do that a normal person would not do. Mm-hmm. There are things yeah. that happen that would not happen to a normal person. Oh, sure. The stuff that you Great guys... example. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my wife married me. <laughs> I... <laughs> came into a relationship with the shooting because you hung and then went to her sister's wedding broke down and cried got drunk broke down and cried in front of god and everybody and struggled with issues from that um we're a sucker for vulnerability yeah okay well maybe that's why she she married me because you know (laughs) but i i have to say i have to give it up to the women that support the law enforcement officers as spouses and partners and, and and things like that because they truly deal with so much shit on their plate and then have to deal with the other shit that's coming through the door mm-hmm. that is just it's really difficult it's really stressful it's really tough and mm-hmm. i i honestly sometimes think law enforcement officers coppers maybe firefighters definitely firefighters veterans active duty military don't give their wives enough credit no. for the shit that they do and deal with yep. and take them for granted and i think that's why there's such a high divorce rate yeah. inside of yeah, law enforcement 50%. inside of all yeah. these first responder military jobs yeah. is because a lot of the the, the spouses or partners take right. them for granted right and, and just check really out shouldn't be yeah. and check in yes check out mm-hmm. exactly become withdrawn antisocial yeah. sure regardless sure. we're already antisocial we're hyper vigilant right it's, yeah. right you're already in the category of yourself what different from everybody right. else anyways i had a chief that says the cop wears the badge but the spouse carries the badge hmm. and I always thought that was a pretty good way to describe it. And good analogy. Here, here's the here's the thing. I thought for those of you who are listening right now and maybe don't think about this, I thought about this all the time. For example, you and I would argue about something stupid, and I would tell you, let's not argue right before I go to work mm-hmm. because I don't want our argument to be the last conversation we have. And it. I think it didn't at first it didn't settle in because we were both new but Mm -hmm. i also was like you know what that's probably not a good idea and then you kind of thought yeah okay and so we would try there were there were conversations that would get tabled or there were things we wouldn't discuss Mm -hmm. or you would leave me knowing i was getting my headspace right before i left you know and 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 so you respected that but also it means that you have to pick and choose like you like you were saying maybe this is not the time to talk mm-hmm. to him about this bill yeah and well um, and it's really a giant learning curve and it wasn't worth my marriage to be fighting with you all the time yeah there's just stuff that i was like you know it's not that big of a deal i'm I, either i'll handle it or we'll talk about it later yeah i i just think that you know think about the fact that we're going off to work thinking okay I'm coming home at the end of my shift. Like that's, mm-hmm. that was always my mindset when I left for work was how many ways can shit go wrong? And what am I going to do to make sure I come home to this family that I just left? But I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys would be experiencing almost the inverse because it's like, you can't do anything to prepare the, you would have to almost say, okay, I can't assume he's going to come home, so I have to prepare myself mentally for what if he doesn't. I have to prepare myself mentally to make sure I come home, but you guys have no way to prepare to make sure I come home. You have no you have no active role in making sure that your husbands or, or wives come home at the end of their shift. You're you're an observer. You're a passive player in that equation. So the inverse becomes true, where you guys have to do a mental preparation for okay, what if he doesn't come home? And I think that people don't consider that. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you guys this question. And I, and I, I don't think a lot of people mentally prepare for that um, to answer that question. Tom, I really uh, not at all. I didn't yeah. think about it no. new, early on. <clears throat> Did you guys ever find yourself watching the news while your husbands were at work? Nope. And I, I guess Absolutely if you're working not. the same nope. shift. Mm-mm. 
Refused. So my wife would watch my wife would watch the news and I'd get random texts. Are you okay? And I'm like, well, yeah. yeah, I'm just sitting at 7 Eleven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. So I'm good. Thomas had I'm a friend. Yeah, right. I was just sees in the bathroom. Jeez. Yeah. Um uh Trimble. Uh-huh. His wife has a police scanner. She used to listen to that yeah. while he was on oh, I, no. I had no and no she could way. hear his radio. Traffic. Yes. I think yeah. there was a couple of nights where I did that and like you would leave like one of the explorers would have their whatever when you were a explorer advisor mm-hmm. and I would listen to the scanner but like well it was task arrow it got really boring after a hot minute. <laughs> so yeah. I just and then I what if I did hear something? Like my worst nightmare of a job would be a right. dispatcher and, then, and have to be in like And waiting forever to hear yeah. from them. I I can do that to myself. I can handle it. That <laughs> actually happened to uh, so on our shooting. Mm-hmm. One of the guys on our team, his wife was a dispatcher. Yep. And she heard that the team had been in a shooting and she heard that one of the officers had been hit and nobody would tell her who. <sighs> and it like, whether it was because nobody knew, whether it was because they were waiting for status updates, I don't know what they were waiting for, but shout out to Barb, man. She was sitting there doing her job as best she could. And then I think they finally took her off the console and stuff like that. But I mean, she's working knowing that this thing just happened, you know, an hour and a half away and she can't do anything about it. She can't find out anything about it. You know, that's, that's gotta be the worst kind of mental torture. One of the officers, um, shall remain nameless for now. His ex-wife was a paramedic and she would be working the same nights as her husband and she would hear a Ellie involved shooting or whatever and have to like emotionally prepare to do her job and potentially on her husband. Right. Wow. That's rough. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know my wife and if she was here, she's downstairs and I can hear, her, but if, if she was here, she would, she would probably say one of the most stressful times, probably other than my shooting and dealing with all the aftermath and fallout from that mm-hmm. was probably the two weeks I was activated during the, uh, the riots in mm-hmm. 2020 because um, I had actually left. I, we had just had our daughter mm-hmm. um, and I had left early to go to the riots day, day, uh, day two. I got called day one of the riots, got activated, left at, you know, zero two, a few hours later, zero two going into work. Goodbye, honey. Worked the riots for two weeks straight coming home at, you know, midnight, two in the morning, three in the morning and having to wake up at, you know, if we came back at three, I would have to leave at like five, six, go into work a little bit late and then start work. And I did that for two weeks straight. And I think that was probably the toughest time for her to deal with because she was seeing all this shit on the news and it wasn't like you could get away with it. Right. You couldn't get away. Every time you turn on the TV, Mm -hmm. it was on. Uh Anytime you went on social media, it was on. And then she had to deal with the aftermath from those two weeks and all that crazy BS that was going on with law enforcement, losing friends, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably the toughest time for her to deal with because she couldn't get away with it. She couldn't disassociate herself from it. It was happening all around her and being forced upon her. And there was no way out. And she was forced to deal with it for the two weeks that I was working straight. And then the months after with all the fallout from friends and and certain family and and things like that. I I think that was, that was tough. Did you guys ever deal with anything, um, something like that, or Um, it was tough to deal with like losing friends or anything with, with law enforcement? Uh, yeah, but I didn't really care, honestly. If they don't want anything to do with me because I, I'm married to a police officer, fuck off. I'm done with you. You, you, But right. you had a certain... You've always enjoyed and taken a lot of pride in that. Like, you, you really did feel a sense of, like, a duty as a police wife. Yeah, you know, like there was, there was, I, I, I just, I saw you take that as I'm, I'm better than all you regulars wives. I'm a cop's wife. You know, I had the shit I have to deal with. My husband can kill your husband, you know, but it wasn't just in a silly way too. You took like the responsibility of making sure I was taken care of and stuff very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's Lottie. She would, every time if I was working a holiday and it was, 
hey, who's working? We're going to invite them over for dinner. And I'm like, no, fuck them. They can go. They can do something else. No, we're going to cook dinner for them, and they're going to come to the house. And we live in the city. Here. We're going to feed the cops. We're going to feed you, feed your partners. I'm like, whatever. Okay, that's Take fine. A plate to dispatch. You're like, I don't, we're, I don't like the guys I'm working with this rotation. Like, fine, <laughs> whatever. Then we can have them over. And but she was always that way. It's who's working? Who's working? Who's working? Let's bring them over. Let's have them come over. We need to take care of them. We need to take care of them. That's awesome. Yeah. I like yeah, that. For sure. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, it's been, I don't know, I guess it's it's been interesting hearing your guys' perspective. Um, I thought I was going to get ripped a lot more, and, and this is going to be a lot more painful than my wife talking about what a piece of shit I was. It's tough. I've yeah. never understood badge bunnies. Like, I'll yeah, hear right. some dumb bitch go, oh, my God, I want to marry, like, a cop because they're sexy. <laughs> and those holsters, oh, my God, they carry guns. I want to cock their gun. <laughs> and I just want to slap them. Like, you stupid twat. Do you have any idea what it <laughs> yep. is yep. you're getting into? Yeah. Yep. Like, it's not. It's not a joke. It's not no, TV. It takes, it, it takes somebody with substance to be able to make that relationship work. Uh, what about um, your daughters? You both have daughters. Yeah. Well, if they bring home a guy they're serious about and it's a cop. <sighs> yeah. Because I one know of, what they signed one it up my for. Da- one of my daughters has <laughs> contemplated being a police officer and I keep telling her no. Yeah. No, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. I'll have a talk with the gentleman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's go out in the back real quick. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, anything you do to my daughter, I'll do to you speech. Yes. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think uh, I think Chuck's. We're running up against the time limit for Chuck because, like I said, we shoehorned this episode in amidst his schedule. So uh, I think that this was. Uh, hopefully, the listeners find it interesting, and the the officers and, and veterans and firefighters they can understand their what their spouses go through a little bit better. Go if if you are on the job and you have a spouse that supports you just go home and and hug them a little bit tighter after you listen to this episode especially for those of you that listen to us while you're out on duty or at the station or on deployment or something because you got to remember that you know like i said you're out there actively doing it but they're stuck at home passively hoping to get their husband or wife back in one piece number one physically and number two emotionally and spiritually because the you know the number of things that this job can kill is not just you it's um your spirit your personality your liver your vacations <laughs> here um so and uh, i thought we would do something at 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 my friend lottie's suggestion i thought we would do something a little bit different we always give our guests a chance to dedicate their episode to somebody and uh lottie you had a you had a pretty good idea. We usually dedicate it to a fallen officer or veteran or a firefighter who's lost their life in the line of duty. But you want to go a different route because this is an episode about the wives. I'd like to dedicate this episode to Grace Benedetti. Her husband made the ultimate sacrifice and she lived our nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for those of you that, uh, listen to our episode about Luca. We've had many people that have reached out about Luca Benedetti, San Luis PD. Uh, he lost his life in the line of duty, and he was he worked with Aaron and I. Uh, he was friends with all of us. Um, he was a, a good young cop, hard charger, um, married Grace. She, uh, all the things that we just talked about are the terrible things that no police officer's wife wants to go through. She has uh, gone through them and is continuing to go through them because it doesn't, doesn't just go away. Um, so uh, the job took his life, but took her husband Yeah, and the father of her children and the father of her children. And uh, so I think we'll dedicate this episode to Grace Benedetti. I think that was a good idea. So um, uh, it, Chuck, you're going to close us out. Okay. Hey, thank you guys uh, for listening today. If you like today's podcast, please go and follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories, underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us and share our posts and our info, you can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and website, our podcast 
is on all major podcast streaming platforms, as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. We still have some Wooby hoodies, some shirts, patches, and stickers left. And we're going to be doing some gear. I told you guys last time I have a meeting tonight and tank tops are coming. And we will be doing a um, special release hat. It will all be done through pre-orders. I'm going to get the hats made up. And you will see them sported by myself and Tom. And you guys will be able to get your own through a special pre-order that we will be doing on our website. So keep your uh, eyes peeled for that. If you want to be featured on our show, think you have a story or want to share your story, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com and send me your story and I can get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, fire, medics, and veterans. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us. Give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Have a great day. All right. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or iron.